Welcome back to Authors on the Air. Today, my guest is the brilliant international best-selling author, Lisa Scottolini. I'm so thrilled that you're here, Lisa. As we were talking in the green room, when I remember listening to you do a speech at BoucherCon in St. Pete during lunch hour, you were interesting. You were funny. I thought, I, I now I'm in love with that woman. I had to buy every single one of your books. Oh, you're so nice. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And I love that music, man. That got me in the mood. Thanks. I'm Great. glad you like it. I know. I, I try to pick something a little bit different, you know, than those I like it. big productions that they do on front of. Hell, we're not dead yet, are we, girl? You know it. <laughs> So I want to say, I your book Loyalty is amazing. It it launches in seven days. Uh, it'll be out in the wild. I have, um, and for listeners, I have a book to give away, a copy of Lisa's book. So we're going to do a secret little sentence here. And if you remember the sentence, you're getting the book. The first one to post for me is giving uh, getting the book from Lisa. So- Lisa, first of all, I have to ask about your gorgeous dogs. <laughs> your King Charles dogs, and then you have a little corgi. Oh, sadly, my corgi passed. Oh, uh, no. It's hard to believe. It was years, it was like two or three. I can't even remember. I'm very bad at dates. But that little presence, look, you know, I'm a single lady, all oh, the single ladies, and I uh I fill my house out with a lot of dogs, and I'm three now and a cat. The cat. I have a 16-year-old cat who every day just rejects me. I, I think these people who complain when they get bad reviews, I'm like, bring it, baby. My cat screamed <laughs> me for rejection. <laughs> right. You have no, there, it bounces off you now. I'm right? bulletproof. I, I, I don't even, really. So I, I um, the dogs are wonderful. They are cavaliers and they're downstairs now and hopefully they'll be quiet. I walk them a lot so they would not bark during the during the interview. You know, it doesn't matter. It's real life. What are you going to do, right? Exactly. And, and really, animals keep you real, man. You just... Uh, it I is true. Them. I had five cats. I have three now. Um, one of them is 19 and a half. One of them is ah! 19. Another is 12. And I, I am their taskmaster for sure. So, <laughs> you know, if I earn a lick or a kiss once in a while, I feel blessed. <laughs> Now you also have horses and you have chickens. You so you're a real farm girl, aren't you? I went from South Philly to some suburbs to well, look, there's so many wonderful things about being a writer, and I'm so grateful for the job, really. Um, but one is that you can live anywhere. And I love to be outside and I don't have to live, you know, it's cheaper out here, there's a lot of room, and then I love animals so much. There you go. But I started to get them and rescue them. I had a rescue horse for a long time. And uh, I'm very, very lucky. I feel very lucky every day of my life. I'm one of those people. I, I'm just always counting my blessings. Well, I have to say that as one of your avid readers, I'm counting my blessings too, because Aww. your your books are outrageously good. Um, and and I'm sure everybody agrees with me who's read Elisa Scottolini book. But uh -huh. it's interesting to me that you were a superstar overachiever when you got into college. And then you went to law school and you were a super overachiever when you finished law school and, and, you know, got your clerkships and everything. I mean, that's, that's a, an, a, a position that doesn't come easily unless you're pretty smart. Oh, you're so nice to say that. I, I am, I'm, a, my hobby is overachieving actually. <laughs> I sort of think I, I had a really loving family not everybody gets that, but my family, my parents were great and they were very unconditionally loving. 
And in fact, it was so much the other way. So, because when I was a kid and I started loving books, my mother would go like, stop reading, it will ruin your eyes. Like, <laughs> It's always like, go out and play. You don't have to work so hard. Why are you studying all the time? It was just the opposite of every message. And But what was great about it was that um, I just kind of was a happy camper. So when I got sort of let loose in college, I was a little bit, I wonder how many things, how much I can do. Like, what can you do? What are your limits? And athletically, like I'd never done sports. <laughs> My mother used to say I wanted to learn tennis because all the kids at school played tennis. And she was like, this is a public high school. And she was like, oh, and field hockey too. I wanted to play. And she said, the ball will hit your breasts. And then it's a mom thing. It's a generational mom thing, isn't it? I remember it was like, there was, there could be a catastrophe around any corner. Like you could say it's sunny today. And she'd go, don't look at the sun. It will blind you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So there was always bad sides to everything. So I was kind of determined to see what were the parameters of life in general. I think I basically are. I'm finding them at my ripe old age of 60 something. There you go. Now, <laughs> it, it, listen, it's a fine time to find those things, too. You've you've cast off all the I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just I'm going as forward as I want, wherever you want to go. It's a wonderful time, isn't it? It's a wonderful. Yeah. I totally, totally, just as we're getting even more marginalized than we ever were, we're yes. like, you're missing out. You don't know how awesome we are. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I agree it's with you on true. that. Absolutely true. Let's talk a little bit about loyalty. Um, as are most of your books, you said a lot, uh, you have a lot of Italian characters. Um, the names are always fascinating to me. I love wrapping my tongue around how you create character. And it's really a lot of fun. But this is a book that kind of reminds me of, I noticed you were blurred by Kristen Hanna. So um, I spoke to her when The Four Winds came out. She's lovely. And she so it reminds me a lot of, of, reading one of Kristen's books or it reminds me of you when I read one of her books, you're very similar, but you yeah. have very different approaches to what you're talking about. So give us a little bit of an idea what to expect in loyalty. And by the way, the cover art is stunning. Oh, I want so much to go back there. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I am foraying, that's not a verb, actually. I am making forays into historical fiction. And I started with the last book, which was Eternal, which was set, you know, you just learn a lot. You know, so, yeah. so for me, I learned about, I was always curious about what happened under fascism in Italy. Right. And I think because I'm always sort of interested in the interplay between law and justice and somehow, as a former lawyer, and somehow how law doesn't always lead to justice. In fact, sometimes law can perpetrate injustice. Yes. And right. So that, it, so then I started to learn about that and I wrote that eternal for the first time. And it was just, um, first time in historical fiction. And I was like, this is so fun. And I just like challenges. I mean, just, I, that's what I love about reading and writing, but I think it's true of readers. We really are, I mean, it's cliched, but we really are lifelong learners. Yes. And after whether you're picking up a book to read it or you're starting a book to write it. So I'd always been interested in Sicily. My background is Southern Italian, but I also, when I learned about, actually what really got me into it was not, it was partly the mafia and what gave rise to the mafia. Because if you're Italian American, it's a little bit, it's love, hate. Yes. Love, right. I can't be, I have to buy into this. I really love the Godfather. I read all that stuff. I love the Sopranos. At the same time, 
I can tell you as a lawyer with a last name that's fairly unpronounceable, um, you know, you get a lot of, are you in the mob jokes? You know, you get, there is a stigma. Yes. So you can't be mad about the stigma if you consume the literature. And I just said to myself, I want to understand more about the mafia. And it began in Sicily. And then I started to learn about it, which was so fascinating. So there's economic reasons for why the mafia gave was born there in the 1800s. At the same time, I learned the other fact of the fact that during the Spanish Inquisition in Sicily, Jews were exiled as a group. There were 40,000 Jews in Sicily and they were thrown off the island under color of law, right? The Inquisition had the legal mandate. And I thought, this is yet another example. Unfortunately, it's, it seems to be always perpetrated upon the Jews, but of where, where law will perpetrate injustice and discrimination. And the weird effect today is that there are very, very few Jews in Sicily in an island on Tyre. And I said, that is so weird. Yeah. And, and I thought, that somebody's got to write about this. So I ended up sort of writing a book about the first mafia family and the last Jew in Sicily. And that ended up being loyalty. Um, Did you spend a long time on your research, Lisa? I spent a lot of time because, you know, look, I live alone. I, I love my life, like with the dogs and this, everything like that. And I read a lot and I love read. You know, you go, well, I mean, how lucky am I, Pam? You know, you go, yeah. I'm a bit in the mafia in Sicily. Let's go get a bunch of books. And I do buy them, um, read all about it, learn, teach myself. And then now, well, I'm not writing nonfiction. So, and then the same with the Spanish Inquisition and the Jews of Sicily and how they hid and how they were persecuted and then go, all right, what was it like to be a lawyer? What was happening with the law in Sicily? So you have to research Italian law. I loved research. I was a former law clerk, law review, all that stuff. So I love legal research. So then you go, all right, now you've taught you. And what was it like to be a woman in 1800 Sicily too? Because there's four main characters in this book, you know, a mafia chieftain, a lawyer, a woman and a Jew who's in hiding. And so I kind of was like, now you got to make Now you can make a story, you know? And I don't, I mean, I want to impress you and your listeners, <laughs> but I have to tell you the truth, which is that I don't have an outline. I just start. I go, what is it like right. to be these people? This is probably the first book I've ever had where I have the characters are separate stories and then come together. Right. Oh, this is kind of interesting. It's a vignette that all flows together and it's, exactly. it flows together very nicely. I have to say I it's a delicious, nice. it's a delicious book. I, 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 you know, in all the ways that everything about Italy is delicious. It's a, just a delicious book Aww. and I hope everybody enjoys it. Well, so what got you thinking about this? Was it because of the previous book? And you thought, I'm going to skip into historic fiction and I'm going to center it around Italy. I mean, you had to have this idea come to you from someplace. I think it was the mob stuff. I think it was that why, wh why here and why now? That's always a good question. You know, I right now I'm doing historical fiction and thrillers. I alternate and I'll do another Rosado series too. I just did a good. story for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it, you Whenever you make a plot, you go, why here, why now? You have to answer that question. This is just my, my philosophy. I'm telling you my sure. truth. You might not care. But so when when you think about the mob, you go, why in Sicily and why then? Right. And so then when you start to discover is that, oh, it sort of ends up like a lot of history, of course, being horribly timely, right? So yes. here's what we learn. We learn in the 1800s in Sicily that the law, Sicily 
being this unbelievable jewel in the middle of the Mediterranean, ends up being unfortunately the crossroads of everything because it's as long as ships can go and stop. So they get colonized many, many times, probably 10 times over. And what ends up happening is the law that gets made, and this is the former law professor talking, is that it, the law that gets made is made by colonizers for the benefit of colonizers. Right. It has, right, it has the effect of keeping- It's cultural. Them. This is a cultural thing as, oh. much, as, it is a, uh, as much as it is political and geo, exactly. geopolitical, everything. So exactly. yes. Social and legal historical. Right. You can't separate these. They're all of a piece. Right. And so this law keeps, you can't own property. We take for granted that if you get the money, you can buy property. Well, that wasn't a right then. And of course, women were property then. So, and freely kind of given to convents for or dowries and all that stuff. And you go, what was it like to be a common peasant? Because believe me, I can put myself in anyone's shoes and probably peasants more than super rich guys, right? And sure. so, and well, you, you're you essentially a slave and you get taxed willy nilly and you get taxed to go into a city and you get taxed to sell your wares and you're essentially indentured and there is no upward mobility. Well, pretend you're an ambitious person who thinks that's unfair and you realize the injustice that creates. You know, when you, when you think back to something like Merchant of Venice, you know, the point I think what Shakespeare was trying to make was stratification in society where opportunity isn't available to all creates a bigotry. And people who are, uh, you know, harmed by bigotry sometimes turn out bigoted. That happens to Shylock. So that that's very much what happens in Sicily. If you can't go up, you've got to work around. And the, the short form of what the mafia did, do you want to say something? Well, I was going to say it's Go relevant to today. It's very relevant to today's culture and politics and geography. It's very, very relevant. It almost seems like it's cyclical. It's coming yes. around again. Yes. Yes. And it's fascinating to me because, oh, my God, oh, I never even knew this stuff. And briefly what I learned was that um, so the mafia starts in these incredibly lush lemon groves around Palermo, which you can't. You know, you can only visualize how great that is. And I, mean, I went there and did the research of visually they smell like perfume, all the stuff you think the bees buzz around, the ground is all lush because it's irrigated there because the Arabs irrigated it during the Arab, Arab colonization, which amazingly Muslim rule was remarkably kind to Jews. It was only Christians who were really persecuted Jews. Interesting. Right. And so... Um, you go, well, what happened in short is that people who were hired to guard these lemon groves because the lemon crop was so uh, valuable end up sort of making a protection racket. And the protection racket is the way they start to earn real money. When they start to earn real money, they start to say as men, why can't I buy land? And that becomes, then they start to use violence to intimidate. At the same time, there's a change in the law which um, basically allowed noblemen who were basically going bankrupt because they couldn't afford all this land they had right. to sell off pieces. And as soon as they start to sell off pieces, the protection racket guys take it over and it becomes like, you know, we'll keep off bitter. Exactly. The bad guys are on top and you go, oh, shit. Excuse me. You go, oh, my That's God, okay. really interesting, interesting turnaround. Not yeah. even one hand you're cheering for the bad guy. You go, yeah, I get it. That sucked not to have a chance. We in America, we believe in chances. My life is nothing but chances. My family was kind of broke and, and I was a broke single mother after my daughter was born. And 
we believe that if you keep trying, you have opportunity. And that's what this country stands for. Well, Sicily didn't stand for that. And so here's these mafia guys who finally get on top, but unfortunately begin to stay there, just like the fascists did through violence. And that's a real interesting story. And what ended up, what I learned in, in Palermo, I'm not giving anything away because it's the early on in the book, is that um, there ends up, and then I find this group of real life do-getters, do-getters called the Beate Pauli, my Italian's horrible, but the Blessed of St. Paul, and they're actually like lawyers and judges, people who believe in law, but see the corruption in the law and in the police and the growing violence of, of the, these um, lemon, growers, lemon growers. And they have a secret society that is going to force, there's going to be a force for good. Like what? You can't, you can't make that up. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't. You really can't. It's like we've moved the 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 Knights Templar from Rome down to Sicily. You've got exactly, your exactly 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 interesting. So I, you know what, I love the fact that you've walked in your character's shoes because it gives your book so much authenticity. And when you talk about smelling the perfume in the air and hearing the bees and everything and the blossoms that come out when citrus is growing, yeah. it. It you it somehow gets into the the story writing. I, I think that you know what becomes your memory, your sense memory is imbued in your writing as well. And maybe that's why it feels so darn authentic to me. Oh, thank yeah. you. You're so kind to say that you help it because when you're there, I don't know why I have to go. And as I say, I hadn't we had mentioned we we're talking earlier, I haven't flown since the pandemic, but I'm like, well, this I can't write about Sicily if I haven't been there. And amazingly enough, parts of Sicily look like they were from the 1800s and still are, especially when you get out of Palermo. And for me, it's all of that stuff, because honestly, the trick, the trick for any good fiction is to take somebody there to that moment. But it's a harder trick in historical fiction because you got to go, what's, okay, what's it like when there's a, a no cell phones? Answer, better. But, yeah. you know, you've got to go back, to that, <laughs> right? Holy God, it's the best thing ever. You've got to go back to that place in time and you've got to see it and feel it. And the, you know, all of those sensations, I actually have so much of that stuff that I actually have to take it out of the book. Cause I'm like, Lisa, it's not a travelogue. It's a story. Right. And, I, and I want it to move fast, but by the same token, people aren't going to get there and they're not going to get there in the 1800s. So you have a lot to bring to life. Will you take some of the leftovers, as you call them, that are still delectable and maybe transfer that into another book, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. You know, the, I think what you said is so cool how you think that you it gets into the book somehow, because that's my secret belief that that's my secret belief about that kind of research that you. Yeah. Um, and there was a challenge in this book, too, because I wanted to write it almost in this in a different style. The yes. Right. You, you see, there's aspects of it that are kind of folkloric because the storytelling was very simple then. And I read so much about it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Continue. You read so much about. I read so many Italian uh, Sicilian folktales because you started to learn, too, that literacy, the, the literate illiteracy rate in Sicily was very, very high. It lagged behind Europe. All of these colonizers really did oppress the common people. So they were, but then you go, this is so fascinating, especially as you and I, people who love books, because in the absence of the ability to read stories, they made stories and they tell stories. I mean, I have my office right now. I could show you books and books of, and there was great, his name was Giuseppe Petri, and he basically went around the countryside, collected the folklore 
of Sicily, wrote it down in a book where he heard it from, which city. And you can read these. And when you read a bunch of them, like I probably read about 100, you understand the terms, yes. the locations, the way they speak. And I imported that into the book because honestly, you channel it to a certain extent. Philip Roth once said that writers just have a good ear. And if you don't have one, you develop one. I think you have to. So that you hear the way they talk and you know the way they would say it because you've listened to so much of it. Well, I, in all honesty, I'm not sure that you could write historical fiction by using the terminology we use in 2023. I mean, it's, it's just a very different, the language is different. The verbs are different, just the right. way we talk about things. So, um, and I think it works very well. I feel it. I mean, I've been to Italy and so it feels authentic to me too. And I think once people start reading this book, Lisa, I think they're going to be right there with you. I wanted to mention when you talked about storytellers, it reminds me so much of the American South. So, you mm -hmm. know, the Appalachian area and everything when storytelling was really how you passed on your genealogy, you passed yeah. your, your Bible was filled with things. And then you had story time on a wraparound porch. I think very much that's what I felt. It was like in this book that oh. it, it felt like storytelling uh, from another generation and telling us their history and their lives and their oh, families. Yeah. So and I like, I like storytelling. I, I, I think that that's probably one of the most fun ways of reading a book is understanding you're being told a story that's not jarring. It's, it's, you're learning from what the writer is telling you, plucking out these little pieces. So I have little things, you know, I have little sticky notes throughout the book and things that I like the sentence structure and all. And so oh, you're, you're oh. and, and I love, you know, I told you before I have your book collection in my library. So, <laughs> so I'm really, really grateful. Thank you for that. No, it's my, let's talk a little. Uh, so when you're not, well, I know what I wanted to ask you. Go ahead. You have been, this is the, your 35th novel. 30, so, yeah. Yeah. so um, how do you feel when other writers who have reached your level of success acknowledge your books and know who you are and want to know more about you? I know. You know what? You want to have the honest answer that you're not going to expect this. I love it when anybody discovers my books. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's very nice when someone whose work I admire likes what I do. But I guess because I struggled for five years, really hard five years with a young child as a single mom trying to get into print and really broke and no health insurance for like 10 years. It was bad. Mm. And uh, I just feel really grateful now. And so, and that's like 20 years of, of 30 years of grad every day. So a little bit when, I mean, I get email, I try to answer as much as I can. Um, but when I get an email from somebody who goes, this book really meant a lot to me. Like, you know, you remember that, that speech. And I remember right. being in that day. And I remember I was right. really silly. Just we we're having fun. The we were having fun. It was. We were having fun, you know. And like, we it was the best part. Actually, that lunch was the best part of all of Bouchercon for me. So, uh, yeah, it was. We were, we were just laughing. We were off to the side of the stage. In Europe, they're just kind of not really pacing around. But you were just like, you know, your Italian was showing that day. And it was so much fun to watch you and so much fun to listen to you. We became huge fans that day. So. Oh, that's so nice. Well, so 
So basically, it, while it's, um, I'm, for example, I will tell you my secret. I read all the reviews online. I, I, I'm, I check like three times a day. That's what a freak I am. <laughs> all right, so, so tell me, why do you do that? And what do you get from it? What do you, well, tell me what the most positive thing you find in your reviews. First off, anytime anybody has read me, let me tell you, you know what the gift is? And I want everybody who listens to this to write if they want to write. I really want to be encouraging to you because it is so nice that someone took you seriously enough to publish your book. And then somebody else took you seriously enough to pick it up. You know, whether they bought it or not, they spent their time. And that's all we have in this earth. Yeah. So that I go. So I, that's number one. Like, wow, that there's 300 reviews of something. I watch how many reviews. That's that's me. I'm not I'm not going to pretend I don't care about this stuff. I also look to see what works and what doesn't. I can't say it changes what I do, do because for it to be real and authentic. Listen to me. This is how I talk. This is how I really am. You know me. We know each yes. other. So but I go, oh, they all they don't like this part. They do like this. That's interesting. That's good to know. Um so I know I'm kind of bulletproof with respect to criticism, especially I don't even mind if people are just mean and take shots. But honestly, my readers tend not to do that. I think I think if you put enough good in the universe, people who are good come to you. They might not love this book versus one or the other, whatever. I'm but they're not, they're not going to bash you for no reason. They're no, just going to say, hey, not my cup of tea, and that's fine. Yeah, and and, and that's as it should be. That's Look, especially if you're me, because I spent so much time writing you know, domestic thrillers, or they call them legal. I always thought they were stories about women, but they're called legal thrillers and Rosado. So that I was very aware. I mean, I changed publishing houses. I was very aware that when I started writing historical fiction, people were going to go, wait a minute, that's not what I want. I, I thought of this as a dumb example, but when I, um, when I go to visit my daughter, she lives in New York, we go to this one restaurant, it's really cheap, but it's great salmon. And I went in there and like, we don't have the salmon. I'm like, no, you have to have the salmon. I, I'm here for the salmon. And that's when it struck me. I was like, Lisa, that's what you're doing to your readers. But what made me so happy is that that was eternal. And I, I was, my heart was in my throat. Because really, if they didn't like it and it didn't sell, I, I would not be able to be writing historical fiction. But almost to a person, a lot of the reviews were like, I don't expect this from Lisa Scottolini, but I really like it. Yes. And that's happening on Goodreads as well. With It's, it's going to happen for a while. Until people go, ah, yeah. right? Because we tend to think about genre, but I don't think about books that way and I never have. And I will tell you, and then I'll shut up about this. That the secret, the secret is that, like you said, the history comes around again. Whether you're writing about law or justice and family and love in the 1800s or in 2023, it's an only a superficial difference. Yes. It's not a real substantive difference. And that no, proves that to myself. So, right? All right. Yeah, okay. it's true. And and it, the interesting thing is that um I think sometimes when you when you slide out of your comfort zone and it's out of your reader's comfort zone, you're also introducing something new to them. And they may at first be a little rebellious because, you know, who wants, we don't want to have to have change. A lot of people are right. very res resistant to change. Right. right. Where, I think the more genres you write in, the happier I am. It's it's another oh, trip yeah. through a world that I'm unfamiliar with, perhaps. Oh. So, um, and you know, let's face it, most people who who don't read as often as you and I do um, tend to read twelve to fifteen books a year. They're reluctant to try new authors and all. I think what you do is a service because you have such a large readership. 
So you're saying, don't be afraid to try something different. Be, you know, read it and tell me if you feel it and, and how, you know, how you felt when you finished it. And that you're in the entertainment business, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. You, you are in the entertainment business. You are part of the arts and humanities. And I think people feel, feed their souls that way. So myself, because I actually thought, I love the arts of all kinds. I'm a huge uh, musical theater, Stephen Sondheim freak, right? And he always said, uh, surprise me. And I thought, like, I, I've never, loyalty is not like anything else I've ever written. Right. I, it's actually very original in a lot of ways. And I was like, ah, I'm surprised. And as long as you, you, you have to keep it fresh for you as an author, and then you keep it fresh for somebody else. It's partly... I, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's going to sound a little egotistical. But I mean, the point is, you're lead to me. You lead the reader. The reader might not want to go there. They might, but you know what? Honestly, I've had the opposite experience of reading some authors and going, "Dude, you've written this book already. You were writing this book over and over. I've read this book, and those off those books go stale for me. You know, and maybe it's a great it's a great compliment to our age. That's why I really I venerate older people. Yeah. You know that, man, we learn a lot and we try different things and it's kind of great. It's just great. I want to talk about Francesca. No, oh, my beloved daughter. Your beloved <laughs> daughter. She's writing her first nonfiction book. Is she? No, actually, well, her first, she wrote her first novel called Ghosts of Harvard, which was very well received, uh, which was very happy about. And now she's writing her second novel. How fun. She, yeah, How, really, is she going to mom for tips and hints and structure and, <laughs> and uh, you know, the denouement and all the story arcs and everything? No, she's really not, which I'm fine with. And so is she. We're really close. We're best friends. I know you And are. Uh, we wrote these nonfiction memoirs together, sort of funny and mother-daughter stuff. Because I think mothers and daughters matter. And there's so few, honestly, positive images of them in the world. I, I think a lot of women's stuff honestly gets underrated. So, um she did, you know, from time to time, she'll ask me, oh, what do you think about this? But, but basically, you know, she's the one who said it. And I heard her say it when we were at a gate, like we were on a, some speaking thing during our tour. And she said, someone asked her that. And she said, I, 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 I already have an editor, but I only have one mom. And I basically started crying. But also, you know, something, the interesting thing is I would imagine that her thoughts and what her beliefs are and her interests and all may not be anywhere near yours. And she obviously has a very successful mom and wants to stake her own claim. And God bless her for that. I, I have to honor her for that. Oh, you're too now, nice. That. I think she are, and, and you know you ought to come back with her sometime and and, and let's have a little three-way chat i would love to have I, her on i would love that that would, would be that. so much fun and we'll we'll talk about women's stuff and it'll it'll just be a lot of fun um we're celebrating women's her story month um i know your daughter is one of your inspirations um what woman inspires you or has inspired you you know who's inspired me Lady Gaga, <laughs> because I think when you look at my daughter is a big fan of hers. And so we went to a Lady Gaga concert together. We've got, gone to several now. And she did one with Tony Bennett. Yes. Um, which I basically wept through. Two of them. She's done two concerts. Yes. And he doesn't remember anything because he has such bad dementia. Was, but he remembers to sing. He, he, he got up on the stage and she took care of him. 
But when you read a little about her life story a little bit, you know, just some scrappy kid who really believed in herself as a woman, not, it's not easy, man. No. Didn't get a lot of encouragement. And you see these interviews and she'll sort of be challenging. So why are you asking me that? Do you ask the men that? And kind of like had a vision, kept the vision. And to see her deference, not only does she open up people's minds to the gay community, right. but she's just open hearted and embracing of the arts and also preserving really important art forms. The American Songbook, right? Here's yeah. a, here's a, she can sing anything, but she's going to sing some standards because she recognizes the genius of Tony Bennett. I mean, yeah. I don't know. That's pretty friggin' great. I and think it is too. It's just, so it's a, wow. Yeah. Um, were you inspired by anyone in particular when you were growing up? Do you want to know? Honestly, no, I was not. I mean, I really, I love not my in mom. law, not in, in writing or anything. No, I, I think, I think I kind of like Nancy Drew. If I were going to say well, somebody, that's cool. yeah, I was a big Nancy Drew fan. And I've said this before, cause I, I don't remember any of the plots of those books, which I devoured and now well. have collected originals of them. So excited. we, we all devoured those, those in the Hardy boys, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was only, I have a Hardy boys reference in my new novel. It's so funny, but I, uh, her, the vision, what I always think is the, I think I might've said this in, at, at our conference, the idea of a young girl in the driver's seat of her own car, having adventures of her own deciding was mind blowing to me as a kid. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. never forgot it. And then you get older and you're like, where's all those girls? Like right. where, it was nobody's passenger. So a little bit, Nancy Drew was probably my fictional, you know, my spirit animal fictionally. I love that. I love that. Right? It's great. Whose book, is, whose book is on your nightstand right now? Um, well, I'm reading a lot of nonfiction right now. Okay. I also, I'll tell you, I have, I'm a big audiobook freak. So part of it is what audio did I just last listen to, which I can tell you kind of off the point though. I can recommend one that I love that I re-listened to, which I've never done in my life. It's called the Florios of Sicily. Okay. It's read by Eduardo Ballerini, who also read Loyalty. Um, and it's about this, the the um, the Florio family, which I mentioned, because it's a point of reference for my characters. They want to be sure. the Florians. But I, I love audiobooks. I just listened to an incredible. I can't listen to an audiobook. You and I are gonna have to disagree on that one. Yeah, I well, if I'm listening to an audiobook, yeah. Uh, my mind gets distra distracted because I can read a book a lot faster and whether it's on my Kindle or in paper, I can read a lot faster. And I find myself going like this and looking around and should I dust today or should I reorganize my book? <laughs> yeah. It just, it, it becomes ambient noise to, to me. It's so funny. I get that. Well, I'm not without with TV. I actually work with the TV on because oh, it's I, and I don't have a television. So there you go. Oh, I want to ask go. you one more question and then go I'm going to let you go because we've had such a good time and I don't want to let you go. No, you're so charming. But you're going to come back with Francesca anyway. Absolutely. Um, who are, what woman writer are you looking at to be a, really a breakout hit in, in writing? Um, I read so many. Um, I can tell you somebody that I read recently and I thought, this, 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 I like this kid. And I actually wrote her. Uh, the, the book that I read, vis-a-vis -vis historical fiction, it was called The Gollum and the Ginny. Yes. Okay. And it was set in New York in the 1800s. I randomly picked it up. I, you know me, I love, well, I love books. I buy a lot of books. 
And there's something about it I liked. I read this book and I thought, this is original. It felt original to me. It's about a golem, which is a clay figurine of a woman and a genie, which is a genie. And you go, who? Uh, and I thought, this is so good. And after I read it, I just went to her website, Helene, Helene Wecker is her name. And I wrote to her, I said, I really love this book. You know, you go, you go girl, because I think it's important. Really, I want to I want to help everybody, you know. Absolutely. I think and um, then I read her second one, which was called The Hidden Palace. And she and we became email buddies. And I wrote and when I finished Loyalty, I said, I'd be so honored if you would read an advanced copy of Loyalty. And if you like it, would you say something nice? And I'm very proud to have her on the back. So she's written two novels. But if you ask me, I look for the next one from her. Okay. I think she's sensational. I well, love come back and guest host with her. Oh, my God. I'd love it. Really? I'm going to call you then and we're going to work it out. OK. I, I want to tell everyone, I'm with one of my favorite people of all time, Lisa Scottolini. Her new book is Loyalty. It's available in a week, but probably some bookstores are going to have it out right now because a lot of them, you know, are, are putting her on the end caps and on the, and the front tables, the bigger stores. Uh, go and get the book. It's fascinating. You will have the scent, the taste, the culture, the knowledge of historical Sicily and about how workers who were being underserved and underpaid took back control and what happens when it got out of control. It's a brilliant book from a brilliant writer, from my brilliant friend, Lisa Scottolini. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you, Pam. You and Francesca are coming on and then you, you and Harriet are going to, you're going to guest host that day. Okay. <laughs> she might, she might be able to run that show, baby. She doesn't need me. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I had to have you ask it. You sit behind the microphone and we'll set it up. Okay. Oh, that'd be funny. Well, you are too sweet. And thank you for your very kind words. I really appreciate it. You're it's, nothing was kind. It was honest. So hold on one second. Okay. And I want to say thank you for listening, everybody. And thank you, mom and dad. I'll see you later.